Welcome, everyone. You're listening to the Family and Stories podcast, where every story reveals the love and the grace of God working through someone's life. I'm Grandpa Jimmy, your host, and it is a privilege to bring these stories to you. They are so much fun, and today is going to be a good story. I hope you're all ready. Beside me, have any of you ever noticed that God never shows us the end from the beginning? I'm quite sure that's because he wants us to trust him and take one step at a time. Now, I've heard much about how important it is to have a vision, and I would agree with that, at least in part. However, the older I get, the more I realize how our vain imaginations can easily take over. It's so important to let God order our footsteps and see what he has in mind. Seldom does the path God leads us on look anything like the path we envisioned originally. I think my guest today might agree with this. You may not know the name Otto Thorworth, but I would guess most of you have seen the blockbuster movie he acted in. If someone would have told Otto, he would be playing the role of the jockey, Ronnie Turcott, in the Disney movie Secretariat alongside Diane Lane and John Malkovich and others, I'm sure he would have laughed. Otto is a real-life jockey, now retired, with many titles and over 1,800 wins. And as it turns out, he is exactly what the director was looking for in Secretariat. Otto, welcome to Family and Stories. Thank you, Jamie. Well, glad to be here. Well, we're glad to have you. And before we get into even talking about the movie and some of the things you're doing now, give us a little bit about your family. Okay. Uh, I have a wife and uh, two children, my wife, Brandy. Um, we have two natural children, two girls that are 13 and 19 years old. And then we also have a foster son that's uh, a little over two and a half years old. Now, any of them interested in horses? No, no, I, I, I keep them far away from horses. <laughs> you, you discourage that, huh? I discourage, and they would be perfect jockeys. They are tiny. <laughs> so, so now, how, how tall are you? Uh, I'm five foot even. My wife is uh, five one, and both of our kids are under five foot. <laughs> now, see, my lovely wife Shirley would feel comfortable standing around you. She's her. She's reached five two. <laughs> <laughs> she she would be the tallest person in the room there for a minute. Yeah. yeah, so I would imagine when you raced, you were very light. Yes, yes. We um, as a jockey, we normally had to weigh around 110 pounds. So, how did you ever become a jockey? Uh, it started off with a childhood dream of being a professional athlete. As I got into high school, I actually got a job working at the racetrack in my hometown, which was Hot Springs, Arkansas. And, um, when I started working at the racetrack, everybody kept telling me, you know, you should be a jockey. You should be a jockey. And I'd never ridden a horse in my entire life. My dad was a football coach. So, uh, I spent most of my life in a field house. And (laughs) so it, it didn't really seem like it would be a good fit for me until I started kind of looking into it and found out that there were these little pint sized athletes that ride these 1200 pound horses around the track. and it kind of started piquing my interest. So although your dad was a coach and you played in all kinds of sports, uh, it didn't look like you were going to make it to the NFL. No, it didn't. And that was really, 
I had Cliff Harris, who played for the Dallas Cowboys, came and spoke to my school when I was like in a third grade. You know, all of a sudden his dream became my dream. I thought, man, I, you know, he was from our state of Arkansas. And I thought, well, I could, you know, if he made it to the Cowboys, so could I. But yeah, by the time I was playing football in the ninth grade, I was 110 pounds and five foot tall. I realized my prospects for the NFL were going to be slim. <laughs> <laughs> you know, there's a few small guys, but not that small. Not that think. small. <laughs> <laughs> so you were working at a racetrack and I mean, what is there a school? I mean, how do you become a jockey? There, there is now at the time when I learned there wasn't a school, uh, you just kind of had to work your way up, uh, learn how to ride. I, I went, I came up under a incredibly talented trainer named Frank, Frank Brothers. Basically, he just took me from the ground up. I started walking horses, then I started grooming horses, and then they ended up sending me to a farm in South Texas where they had all their two-year-olds broke, and I went down there and broke babies and got on some of the best horses in the country and just learned how to ride on a farm, which was a good setting because it was a lot quieter and the horses, you know, the horses and me were learning at the same time. Well, what, was it scary getting on horses like that since you weren't an experienced rider? No, I mean, I, I'm kind of got a fearless personality. I, I'm one of them guys that'll try anything. I mean, I, I'm not the person you want to dare to do something because chances are I'm going to take the dare. I, I've always been that kind of person. There was never anything that I was really scared to do. So, um, I was excited about it. I hit the dirt, you know, I hit the ground a lot of times starting out, you know, it took me a little while, but. I had a really good balance. So within a couple of weeks, you know, I learned how to ride. Then it was just a matter of polishing my skills. So you, you started winning. I mean, somebody gave you an opportunity in a real race and you started winning. Well, yeah, I was right. I was working for a gentleman in uh, New Orleans at a racetrack down there and another trainer who had horses down there. I kind of caught his eye. Uh, they had what was called schooling races where you put horses in these races that haven't raced to give them some experience before they actually run in a pair mutual race. And I was riding those just to get experience. And this guy, you know, kind of noticed me and he ended up taking me to Oakland park, which was in my hometown where I rode my first race. Actually, I, I won the very first race I rode in. <laughs> that had to be, that had to be inspirational for you. I mean, that had to encourage yeah, you. Well, I, I think I, I like this. <laughs> I was like, this, this job's going to be easy. You know, it's a piece of cake. <laughs> wasn't so easy though, was it? No, it wasn't. It, it, it's a tough job. And it's more, not, it, more it, people see. yeah, it's not glamorous. I mean, it's actually really dangerous, isn't it? It's very dangerous. Uh, you know, it's, it's the only sport where you have an ambulance chasing you the entire time you're working. I mean, we literally have an ambulance at eighth a mile behind us chasing the herd of horses around the track as we run. Because when, when something does go wrong and a jockey comes off it a lot more times than not, it's, you know, it can be catastrophic. You know, there's a lot of, you're talking about 1200 pound animals, you know, going down and landing on top of you. It, it can, it can get very, very scary at times. Well, you know, you played Ronnie uh, Tricot, and uh, he's in a wheelchair, obviously. Yes, yeah. He ended up, uh, I think it was about four years after he won the Triple Crown on Secretariat. Uh, he had a horse just stumble coming out of the gate with him. And when he fell off, he broke his neck and has been in a wheelchair ever since. Let me ask you one question. I was thinking about the, the animal that, that played the role of Secretariat. 
I yes. mean, was that like a, a champion race? Uh, actually not. Uh, we, we had five horses actually that played secretariat, uh, that we interchanged out, uh, to make sure they kept fresh horses, you know, to keep him looking, you know, sharp. The main horse, uh, named Trolley Boy, who was what they called their hero horse. He was the one that looked the most like secretariat. Uh, I think I could outrun him on a good day. <laughs> he wasn't real fast. Oh, really? Yeah, but, but he should So they didn't the have part. to be too fast yeah, for the movie. Film can do a lot of things. <laughs> well, you had won hundreds and hundreds of races. I think I read someplace like eight or 900, and then you decided to walk away from racing. What in the world prompted that? Uh, it was the, it was the battle with my weight. Um, you know, in my early career, when I was in my early twenties, I had no problem doing the assigned weight for jockeys, which usually range between 110, 112 pounds. And as I got into my 30. I mean, that's, that's an absolute number is what you're yeah, telling me. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, when I got into my thirties, my metabolism started slowing down and, you know, I don't, no, even if you're five I foot didn't. tall, it's still hard to be 110 pounds. <laughs> and, uh, yeah. and I started just fighting the weight. And, you know, it just, it, it finally took its toll on me and I just decided, you know, I'd had enough and I was just going to walk away from it. Was there a lot of traveling? Were you away from your wife a lot? Yes, I was, I was away from my family about nine months a year. Well, that was no fun either. Weren't you, see, you had a, you had a daughter back then? At that time I had one daughter. Yeah. That, that is a draw. That is a pull to stay home. Yeah, it was. And, you know, and I tried to change my circuit. You know, I originally rode in Kentucky. Arkansas. And then once I got married and had a kid, I moved my tack to Louisiana so I could only be three hours from home. That way on my days off when we weren't racing, I could drive home and see my family. So you know, it made it a little easier, but I was still away from them five days a week. Did you miss it when you left? Not really. Uh, I'll be honest. <laughs> I, when I left, I thought I was gone for good. I didn't think I'd ever be back. Well, I'll be. So here you are back home, just a regular working guy. What brought you back to the track? How did, what, what uh, it was the Lord. Um, it was, it was not my really? <laughs> So, so your footsteps were being ordered and it wasn't the way you thought they exactly. would be. Exactly. I had, uh, I had an experience. I had a gentleman, uh, walk into my life, uh, became a friend with and, um, he basically taught me things that I'd never, you know, I'd, I'd been a Christian my whole life. I, I read the Bible, went to church weekly and the churches that I went to had never taught me some of the, you know, this guy really took me under his wing, disciple me. And he taught me about the Holy spirit. Once I received the Holy spirit, the baptism of the Holy spirit, I just got a whole new outlook on life. Uh, there was a fire lit inside of me that I'd, I had never experienced in all my years. And I, I joke with people and say, you know, from the time I've received Christ as a kid at eight years old until that day, I've realized I'd just been a fan of Jesus. And I thought I was following him, but I was really just a fan. It was Jesus incorporated. And, uh, and once I finally put him in his rightful place, uh, he really started speaking to my heart. And what, what did he speak? I mean, you, you were like asking him what you were supposed to do or I mean, what happened? Oh, I was, uh, working. I had three jobs at the time. Uh, one of them was working on an ambulance. I was a EMT and, uh, I was at the station one day and was reading my Bible, you know, which I was, it was the greatest job for someone who had caught on fire for the Lord because 
we would sit in our station for 10, 12 hours at a time without a call. So it gave me all this time to just read the Bible, study God's word, pray. And I was kneeling beside my bed one day. Uh, actually, I take that back. I was sitting in my bed reading and I came across uh, Jeremiah 29, 11, which says, I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord, plans to give you a hope and a future. When I read that, it was just like the words jumped off the page. And I said, man, God has a plan for my life. My whole life, I've been living Otto's plan and he had his own plan. And so I, I got off my bed, got on my knees and I just asked him, I said, Lord, you know, what's your plan? What do you want me to do? I had my preconceived notions of what he would say. You know, I thought he would tell me I need to go to Bible college or I should be a missionary to Africa or something like that. And I was dumbfounded uh, when he spoke to me. It was the first time I really felt like I'd heard the Lord speak to me in my life. And he said, Otto, I want you to go back to the racetrack. And that, that had to get your attention. Uh, you know, I, I actually, my first words were, get behind me, Satan. I thought, surely that can't be God. Because <laughs> I, I did not want any part of that. And it did get my attention. I pulled a Jonah. Uh, I, I jumped on a boat to Nineveh, you know. <laughs> yeah, you, 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 were, you were like, I'm, I'm out of here. Direction. You know, I was like, I don't want to go to Nineveh, you know. Because the racetrack was my Nineveh, you know. And uh, I fought it for about six months before I finally gave in. And decided to, you know, adhere to his calling. So that meant now you got to start losing weight again. Yeah. You got to get back out to the track. Yeah. Got to start uh, finding some horses or owners or however. That yeah, was. I'd gotten up to at that point. I was probably pushing 125 pounds. I mean, it just seems like it's it wouldn't make a lot of difference to a horse. No, if you were I really don't overweight. think it does. Still to this day, but it's just that's the standards the jockey club set. So, oh, so that I mean that that's actually almost like a. A requirement. It's yeah, not just yeah, it's a nice a, thing to yeah, have. Yeah, it's a requirement uh, made by the jockey club, which is made up of of zero jockeys. <laughs> it's a bunch of, you know, old heavyweight men that, you know, decide we should weigh 110 pounds. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I'd, like, I'd like to see one of them get to 110 pounds, and they'd they, they learn to sympathize with them. <laughs> not a chance. They'll never no. be there. I, I, I wouldn't be like that if I were dead. <laughs> That's kind of what it feels like. It feels like death warmed over. <laughs> so you're like bulimic all the time. Yes. And that probably is a real issue. It's a big, it? issue, big issue among jockeys. So you're riding, you're winning races. And then uh, tell me about this opportunity that came your way. Okay. Um, well, we one of the big decisions in going back to riding uh, I made my wife agree that her and the kids, which at that point she was pregnant with our second child, uh, I made her agree that they would come with me. And um, instead of me traveling nine months out of the year away from home. And so what we did was we just picked a spot in the middle of Indiana uh, that was centrally located between the tracks in Indiana, Ohio, and Kentucky that I would be riding at. And yeah, there might be a few famous tracks back there. Yeah, yeah, Churchill Downs, Keeneland. I mean, there's some really, really nice, nice tracks up here. So you, she's traveling with you, or you're moving into this, this central location? Yeah. So we got settled, and uh, we got into a church. And so I wanted to go to a non-denominational charismatic church, and uh, so that was the first thing on our list when we moved to Indiana was to find. Uh, you know, a spirit filled church that we could get plugged into. And boy, did we ever. 
I know that feeling. <laughs> and so we get plugged into this church and, uh, just two months into it, I receive a prophecy, uh, spoken over me by the pastor that, uh, God had a champion for me. And at that point I thought, okay, now this is all starting to make sense. You know why? Cause I, I had no idea why God brought me back through horse racing. I, I didn't want to be there. And I was really good at it. I mean, as soon as I returned, the very first meet I rode, I was leading rider at, you know, I mean, just dominated, but it just, it just wasn't a passion for me anymore. But, uh, God gave me this word, you know, and I think he did it, you know, uh, just to make sure I stayed where I was supposed to be. <laughs> so the pastor said you're going to ride a champion. How did you interpret that? Uh, I interpreted it in the natural. Um, you know, I'd left too soon. You know, I probably had a, a derby winner or a breeder's cup horse, something of that sort, you know, coming down the pipe. I just walked away from racing too soon. So God just confirming to me that was why he had brought me back to the racetrack. That was the purpose. So come on, let's go now. It's getting more interesting. <laughs> okay. So, uh, two and a half years go by and I've won three riding titles, not my thousandth win, my 1500th win. But there's nothing that looks like a champion in the in the work, so to speak. Well, you know, it's like any sport at that level. There's very few people who get to the very yeah. top. I mean, yeah. it's so I mean, rare. it's just like kids wanting to play football. How many of them actually get to the Super Bowl? You know, it's just a handful. Or how many become a world-class tennis yes. player? A handful. Yeah. And so uh, so I, after about two and a half years, I'll be honest, I was getting a little discouraged, you know, that my champion wasn't coming, you know, by my own fault. Long story short, we, uh, a guy at the track where I was riding comes up to me one day after the races and he tells me about, uh, Disney is auditioning, looking for jockeys to play the part of Ron Turcott in the movie Secretariat. And he hands me a script that he had printed off. To be honest, I thought, you know, he'd been out in the sun too long that day. Um, <laughs> I'd never acted a day. In, <laughs> I, I never acted a day in my life. Uh, I was an athlete. You know, even in school, when I was in high school, I thought that, you know, thespians were just for people that, who couldn't play sports, you know. I, I was never yeah, interested yeah. in it. And uh, and so I, I took it home that night. And at dinner, you know, I told my wife about it. And she gets all excited. She's like, oh, you should go audition, you know. And I said, man, I, I you know, I, I really, I'm kind of on a mission from God. I'm supposed to ride this champion. You know, I got, I, I don't have time to try my hand at acting. And, uh, she talked me into going, um, I did not want to go audition and she played the kid card on me. She said, what about the girls? Look, think about the girls. How, how cool would it be for them to be able to say their dad was in a Disney movie, you know? Yeah. That got so to that, you right there, didn't me. it? And so the next day I'm driving <laughs> to the audition and I just got the script the day before. I hadn't had time to really even hardly read it, much less memorize it. And on my way to the audition, a dear friend of mine from Arkansas calls me, asked me what I was up to. And I said, you wouldn't believe me if I told you. I said, uh, I'm on my way to a Disney audition. And he starts laughing and he's like, when'd you take up acting? <laughs> I said, no, I haven't. I said, uh, the wife talked me into doing this. And he goes, well, what's the role? Secretary. I said, uh, he wasn't a racing fan, this friend of mine. And so I said, do you know who secretary it is? And he's like, well, yeah, everybody knows who he is. You know, he was like the greatest horse ever. And I said, yeah, so they're making a story about him, his life, you know, and his career. Thankfully, Spencer in his infinite wisdom, you know, says to me, he says, 
wait a minute. He said, didn't, didn't you get a prophecy a couple of years ago about riding a champion? And it was just like, I mean, I, I, I literally burst into tears driving my car because I realized this was it. You know, this was my champion and it was such a relief because, you know, I was miserable riding races and now God's laid this champion in my lap. And of course, it, you know, as God does so many times, he does things a lot different. You know, his ways are higher than our ways. His thoughts are higher you than know, that's our been years. That's been years ago, yeah. but I can see it's still yeah. very emotional yeah, for still- you to realize when you realize that you were walking into what God had planned for yeah. you. Yeah. So, I mean, was it easy to get the job? Yeah. Yeah. I just went in and um, like I said, I didn't even have the script memorized. And the woman who was the casting director, she said, okay, here's how we're going to do it. I got this camera rolling. I'm going to read these lines. You're going to read those lines. And, you know, that's, that's what we're going to do. And so, I read the script and uh, read my lines. And when I got done, you would have thought, you know, Brad Pitt walked in and auditioned for this part. The lady just, she went nuts. She's like, oh, my gosh, that was so fantastic. Oh, that was just fantastic. You did a great job. And, you know, and you're sitting there like, what? And I'm just sitting there going, this is definitely God because <laughs> I didn't do anything special. <laughs> and, uh, and so uh, I ended up getting two callbacks. And uh, the second callback that I, or the third one that I attended was with Randall Wallace, the director. And, um, we just had a phenomenal conversation. Uh, found out that Randall was also uh, a believer who had graduated from seminary from Duke University. Well, you know, the, the, the music in the movie is pretty telling, yeah. actually. And that's all, I mean, his, it's in my, that's all his doing. Yeah. Uh, none of that was originally scripted in the movie. That was all added in by Randall putting his little, you know, God fingerprint on the movie, uh, the reading of Job at the beginning of the movie. That that was not originally in there. Those were all things Randall added as we went along. And uh, well, they were they were what made the movie as far as they really were. They really were. So uh, we just had a fantastic conversation, and uh, you know, he asked me just like you. He said, "How how'd you get here today? How'd you end up in front of me?" And I said, how long do you got? You know, and he said, I got all day. And I basically <laughs> shared with him everything I just shared with you. And after sharing it, he just starts laughing. I mean, he's like belly laughing, you know, and I'm thinking, well, it's a good story, but I really didn't think it was all that funny. He looks at me. He says, you know, he says, Disney is patting themselves on the back thinking they have found the perfect person to play Ron Turcotte in this movie. And he said, what they don't realize is they didn't have a thing to do with it, you know. <laughs> it was all God. It was all God. Well, I'm sure making the movie was a lot of fun. But what it also did was it gave you a platform. Yes, it has. I mean, I've spoken uh, in front of governors. Uh, I've met uh, the Queen of England. <laughs> I mean, you, it's really opened a lot of doors. I speak at churches you know, once or twice a month in youth groups. I mean, it's just, just give me such a platform to, to share, you know, how good God is. And that not only, you know, he has, it's not just me. He has a purpose and a plan for every person they were born with. And so, so is it true? You don't always know the end from the beginning. That is absolutely true. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, the path you were on. uh, It it was nothing like you expected. No, And if I would, you know, listen, I'd probably still be, you know, 
riding around in an ambulance today <laughs> without a Disney movie to my credit. <laughs> so what are you doing now? When did you retire? What's going on now? Uh, I retired as soon as we finished filming the movie. I, I prayed about it as soon as they released me from Disney. And I really felt like, you know, the Lord said, that, you know, that was that was the purpose. It was up to me. I can keep riding, which, you know, with the movie. I probably would have done really well because it would have given me a lot of, you know, publicity and stuff, you know, going forward. But it just wasn't where my heart was. My heart was in ministry. After the movie, I moved back to Arkansas, started to, started back at scratch, trying to figure out what was next for Otto Thorworth. And uh, as it would be, I ended up galloping horses at the track during the winter, which I enjoyed that because I wasn't having to fight my weight. That was the big thing that made Brian so miserable for me but uh i can eat whatever i wanted and still get on horses every day and i ended up with a horse that um was going to run in the kentucky oaks and so i came to churchill downs with her and when i got back around this area it was just like man this is this is kind of feels like home and so i moved my family back to indiana shortly after that i got offered a job as a racetrack chaplain in indiana and that's that's what I'm doing right now. At uh, at one point, didn't Pat Day say something to you? He's another jockey. Yeah, Pat Day is a Hall of Famer. He's like, you know, the Tiger Woods of horse racing, so to speak. Uh, he's won everything that you can win, including the Derby. During my Nineveh days, as I uh -huh. would say, my Jonah, Jonah period where I was refusing to go where God called me, I, I actually ran into Pat in an airport on my way to a hunting trip in North Dakota, I shared with him, you know, what God had put on my heart about going back to racing and asked him, you know, does that make any sense to you? You know, because it makes zero sense to me. And he looked me right in the eye. He said, Otto, he said, you know, how few people there are on the backside of a racetrack who are willing to share God's love and God's word. He said, if that's where God's calling you, I'm sure he has a plan. And I'm seeing that plan come to fruition now because I get to do it daily. I walk the backside as a chaplain on the racetrack. I get to pray with people, counsel people, you know, help them with things. And it, it's it's just such a rewarding job. I'm still around the horses and, you know, which I love the, the sport itself. I just didn't like the racing part. And I get to, you know, minister to jockeys and grooms. And I mean, I've been in every aspect of it. So, it's just the perfect fit. My goodness. So you're actually living the best life right now, just serving Jesus, loving on people. What a blessing for yeah. you and for the people around you. So yeah. now uh, you're doing a book on your life. Is that right? Yes, sir. I just uh, I just completed it about a month ago, and uh, it's in the process of getting edited. Uh, it'll, it'll be called Nowhere. No ordinary champion. No ordinary is, champion. Okay, I like that. That is, you know, it's, it's just, you know, it tells my story um, from the from the get go, from the time I was a kid up until you know landing the row in secretary. So it was really all about from from you know just thinking from God's point of view, it was all about setting you up, giving you a platform so you could talk talk about Him. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, right from the get go, I mean, from the time I was a kid putting that competition, you know, gene in me that I was just so competitive and that that's what ended my size on top of it. And, you know, he just, he had it all planned out. 
you know. You know, I've talked to several athletes of late that uh, have had very similar things happen to them. They made it to the top and they went into ministry because they knew that's what they were called to do. And God just set right. them up to reach all of the people out there that are in love with these different sports. Yeah. And I mean, you know, the racetrack's no different. I mean, it has a unique following of people. And, you know, every year at the Secretariat Festival, uh, they invite me down to come sign autographs. And, man, I get to witness. And, you know, as I'm signing autographs, I, you know, I'll write book. God will give me a scripture to put on there or something, you know, for that person. And, you know, I just, it's, it's just amazing how he, how he set it all up. Well, I'll tell you what, that is wonderful. Now, if somebody wants to get your book, it's not out yet, or uh, I guess they, they can't pre-order it yet, but what should they do? Ed? Uh, you can find me, uh, on Facebook, um, just under Otto Thorworth, or, um, I have another page, Otto Thorworth Ministries. And as soon as the book is released and, you know, I've settled on a publisher, we'll be, you know, I'll be advertising it on my Facebook page. So they'll be able to find out how to get it there. Well, let, let me know as soon as that comes out, because I want to talk to people and let them know about that book. It, it is just a, a wonderful story. Well, I, I, I enjoy sharing it. I mean, that's why he gave it to me. <laughs> well, Otto, thank you so much for coming today and being on the program. It's such a blessing to hear from you, and I'm looking forward to see what you're going to do next. Me too. <laughs> <laughs> well, all of you who are it was a pleasure being with you. <laughs> all of you who are listening, uh, thank you for listening. And uh, remember, you have a story to tell, and I would love to hear it. So you can contact me at uh, mygrandpajimmy.com or mygrandpajimmy at gmail.com. And remember, I've also got a new book out for kids about 8 to 12 called Wrinkly Brinkly. So have a blessed day. God bless you.